You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, January 10th. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with the president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, Margaret Clements, who claims the county has received enough signatures to legally oppose annexation in at least eight out of the nine proposed annexed areas. More in today's feature report. Also, coming up in the next half hour, the John Waldron Arts Center reopened last week after being closed for nearly two years. That's coming up next in your daily headlines. Following a 21-month closure, the John Waldron Arts Center reopened on January 4th for use by the public and visual and performing artists. According to a press release from the City of Bloomington, large events are not expected to take place until later in the year due to a recent spike in COVID-19 cases. A reopening celebration originally planned for last Friday will be rescheduled to a later date. The John Waldron Arts Center, or simply the Waldron, was built in 1915. It formerly served as Bloomington City Hall and housed the city's police and fire departments through 1985. In 1990, the city deeded the property to the Bloomington Area Arts Council. The building has since remained an arts venue and since 1994 has been home to WFHB Community Radio. In 2010, the city sold the building to Ivy Tech, who operated it as an arts space for the next 10 years. Then, in December 2020, Ivy Tech announced it would sell the building back to the city, reverting ownership in January 2021. Since taking ownership of the building one year ago, the city organized the Waldron Task Force, which recommended repairs of the facility. In May of last year, the city announced a $515,000 commitment for capital improvements, to address deferred maintenance of the facility as part of the Recover Forward initiative aimed to help the community recover from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Repairs included an upgraded HVAC system to comply with Actors' Equity Association requirements, restoration to the building's windows in a historically accurate manner, a completion of roof repairs and update of all light fixtures to LED, and a repair of water damage throughout the building. In a press release, the city says it's currently repairing the downspout filtration system to prevent future flooding in the building. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton says of the reopening, quote, This substantial public investment in the required repairs at the Waldron demonstrates the city's commitment to the arts in Bloomington. The arts need a public space that they can call home, While the Waldron is not a purpose-built space, it continues to serve our arts community, contribute to our local economy, and improve our community's quality of life, end quote. According to the press release, the city plans to maintain management of the building for the first half of 2022, 
while conducting negotiations with a third party for long-term management of the building beginning in July of this year. Inquiries about using the Waldron Arts Center can be directed to Holly Warren, Assistant Director for the Arts, City of Bloomington at holly.warren at bloomington.in.gov. As temperatures drop to dangerously cold levels, several warming stations in Monroe County will open their doors for temporary relief. In a press release, the county says these stations are for residents without heat, who can come to warm up and continue on their way. Warm-up stations do not include food, showers, or places to sleep. If county residents are in need of overnight shelter, They can reach out to local shelters or their local trustee's office for other essential needs. Warming stations include the following locations. Bloomington Fire Station 1 at 226 College Avenue. Bloomington Fire Station 2 at 209 South Fairfield Drive. The Monroe Fire Protection District at 5081 North Old State Road 37 and the Ellettsville Fire Department Headquarters at 5080 West State Road 46 in Ellettsville. The City of Bloomington encourages residents who are experiencing homelessness to seek shelter and or resources at the following locations. Beacon Incorporated at 620 South Walnut Street. A Friend's Place at 919 Walnut Street. Wheeler Mission at 215 South Westplex Avenue, New Hope Family Shelter at 301 West 2nd Street, or contact Middleway House's 24-hour crisis line at 812-336-0846. Warming stations will be open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. The county asks residents to abide by the rules of each station by wearing a mask, and maintaining at least six feet of distance between other individuals in the building. Up next, a monthly roundup of prison disturbances as compiled by Perilous Chronicle. This aired previously on KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. Kite Line airs each Friday on WFHB Community Radio. The program is available online at WFHB.org and wherever you listen to your podcasts. According to several activist groups in Louisiana, 53 women at two migrant detention facilities, Richwood Correctional Center and LaSalle Correctional Center, began a hunger strike on December 2nd to protest poor conditions and to demand asylum for detainees. According to Liberation News, the hunger strike was to call attention to the denial of medical treatment and poor nutrition at the facilities the denial of visitation, and the lack of COVID-19 protocols. On Monday, December 13th, organizers from the Answer Coalition, Semillas, Arizona, and Louisiana Tech University's YDSA organized a demonstration 
outside the facilities to support the hunger strikers. Both correctional centers are managed by LaSalle Corrections, a privately run developer and operator of correctional centers throughout the states of Louisiana, Texas, and Georgia that have contracted with ICE. Louisiana currently holds the second highest number of ICE detainees in the country. LaSalle Corrections claims that there have been no hunger strikes in the facilities. The end date of the hunger strike is unknown. On Saturday, December 4th, a disturbance was reported at the Independence County Detention Center in Batesville, Arkansas. According to incident reports provided to the Batesville Daily Guard, two prisoners complained about the conditions of the jail and then flooded their cells after removing a water spout on a fire suppression system. Other prisoners joined by throwing trash. Two prisoners have been charged with felonies for impairing the operation of a vital public facility. On Wednesday, December 8th, a disturbance was reported involving more than 20 prisoners at the Southern Desert Correctional Center in Indian Springs, Nevada. According to reports, a group of prisoners refused to go to their cells and two fires were started that caused significant damage. No major injuries were reported and allegedly surrounding officers never entered the prison. The cause of the event is unknown. Since the disturbance, 15 prisoners have been transferred to high security prisons in Nevada. On December 13th, two prisoners from the Glen County Jail in Brunswick, Georgia, escaped. The two women escaped while they were on cleaning duty at the Glen County Courthouse. Both prisoners have been recaptured, and another person was arrested for helping with the escape. On the evening of January 2nd, a disturbance was reported at the Maryland Reception, Diagnostic, and Classification Center in Baltimore, Maryland. According to several news outlets, several fires were started at the facility, resulting in four people being sent to area hospitals with non-life-threatening injuries and now released. 28 prisoners were treated for smoke inhalation. The fires occurred on the fifth floor of the facility where books, mattresses, clothing, and food carts were set on fire, amounting to more than $50,000 in damages. The cause of the fires is unknown or how many prisoners were involved. The Baltimore Sun cited issues related to understaffing of guards. For more information, please check out perilouschronicle.com. On January 6th, the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation organized a final event offering new insights into the annexation process. Annexation is a process where a city extends its boundaries to areas that did not belong to the city previously. Vice President Margaret Clements says she's confident that county residents will successfully challenge annexation. WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Margaret Clements. We turn now to that interview. Well, Margaret Clemens, president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, welcome back to the WFHB Local News. Thank you so much for having me, Cade. So, Margaret, you organized a final remonstration event on January 6th at the Monroe County Courthouse. So just to start things off, what was that event like? It was very uh, well attended considering that there's a pandemic. 
and it was to announce the amazing results of our grassroots effort that achieved more than 65% of the necessary signatures that will void annexation in eight out of nine, possibly nine out of nine, originally proposed annexation areas by uh, Mayor John Hamilton and the Bloomington City Council. I see. Now, how official is this? I read somewhere that the numbers are still coming in. So, you know, in terms of confidence, you know, how 100% are you that you'll be able to successfully void at least eight of the nine proposed annexed areas or possibly even nine out of nine, as, as you outlined? Well, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm not 100% because, of course, things can wear their ugly heads. But, for example, in the areas that I was primarily responsible for, areas 2, 3, 4, and 5, we had the official public record of the deed, and we found the exact property owners, which in sometimes was, uh, in some events, was not very easy to do. For instance, We had an owner who lived in Pakistan. We had an owner who lived in Switzerland. We had an owner who lived in, owners who lived in other countries. And we found those people. And despite different notary uh, requirements and customs in those countries, we obliged by the law and we submitted uh, petitions, signed petitions from those homeowners uh, across the annexation areas. And uh, we we were try, tried to be very careful in our data collection and our signature collection to make sure that we had the rightful owner of the property. I see, I see. Last Thursday, you offered insights into the remonstration efforts and updated numbers for each of the proposed areas. Now, would you inform me and our listeners about these so-called islands, you know, county pockets, surrounded by the city and other new insights into the annexation process made available at last week's event? Sure. Let me just go over them uh, one by one in numerical order. Sure. Area 1A, which uh, is a large area that is northwest Bloomington, had over 1,092 signatures that had been sent in, while only 962 signatures were needed for cancellation. Now, these figures are current as of January 5th, and as you can imagine, on January 6th, inches worth of uh, remonstration petitions had been sent in from around the annexation area, so we expect the number to be higher in all of these instances, you know, in all of these instances. Area 1B, which is southwest over by Walmart and the Highlands, They had 1,196 signatures that had been submitted as of January 5th, while only 1,073 were needed in order to contest the annexation in court. And if Area 1B is contested in court, they can demonstrate that the city did not meet some of the legal requirements of the law, such as density, for instance, in order to have a legal annexation. Area 1C supplied 92 signatures and only 69 were needed to cancel and void the annexation. Area 2 had 1,069 that had been submitted and only 864 were needed to cancel the annexation. And, you know, we know that at least 25 or more were submitted after the January 5th tally. And only 4% of the people in all of Annexation Area 2 said that they wanted to be annexed, only 4%. 
Area 3 had 76 signatures, and that's an island over there behind Culver's off of West 3rd Street, and only 66 signatures were needed to cancel the annexation, and I believe they had an additional signature that they obtained on the 5th or the 6th. Area 4 had 66 signatures sent in, and that is the area that is sandwiched between 3rd Street and 2nd Street, and it is an island, and only 60 were needed to cancel, and I believe they got one more, and that's factoring in any waivers that we believe were valid. Area 5, another island, had 62 signatures sent in, and only 60 are needed for cancellation, and I believe they also achieved the 80% total assessed value calculation, which also voids annexation. So I think they voided that annexation by at least two ways, if not three. Area six demonstrated that early on, now this was over by university school, and they demonstrated that over 90% were opposed to the annexation. So their annexation was canceled before uh, the city approved annexation. And area seven, which was north, demonstrated that more than 90% of their residents were opposed to annexation. So their annexation was amended out of the ordinance. So in all of the areas, eight out of nine of the originally proposed areas, we believe that the annexation will be voided. And in one area, area 1B, which might obtain the 65% because an inch and a half worth of petitions were submitted on the 6th, that they could reach the 65%, but if it goes to court, the court will have to avoid it because the administration did not meet the legal requirements of the law. I see. I see. Well, thank you for, you know, explaining and breaking down those insights that were made available at last week's event. Now, speaking of the January 6th event, so county commissioners Julie Thomas, Lee Jones, and Penny Giffins gave remarks at the January 6th annexation event. What did they have to say regarding the annexation process? Well, Julie Thomas was speaking about how how she had heard the residents in the county, their voices. They overwhelmingly want to keep the rural, rural, and the urban, urban. And so uh, she made no mistake about it and wanted to be very clear that she had heard the pleas of the residents that they did not like the hyper-urbanization that is occurring in Bloomington right now. And she made a point of telling the people assembled and the signers of the petitions and the remonstrators that she's listening. And Penny Giffen said that she lives in the city and she is concerned about the administration's use of her tax dollars to use in this kind of uh, lost cause legal battle. I mean, as of April, they had already spent over $1 million in legal fees associated with pushing upon the people what the people do not want, and that is this annexation. And if they're going to use more of the city payers' tax dollars to force on the people of the county what they don't want, that she objected to that. And she also does not believe that uh, annexation should be involuntary. And Lee Jones commented about how impressed she was by this uh, grassroots movement across the county and across all of the annexation areas, hundreds of people mobilized in a pandemic and meeting the public door to door in meetings. These were things that the city council members, they themselves were not willing to do when they canceled the public hearing because we're in a pandemic. And several of our signature gatherers did come down with COVID and their health was jeopardized because of this uh, ill-advised 
aggressive move by the city council and by the mayor. And we were impressed by the grassroots movement. We were impressed by the voice of the people. We were impressed by their commitment to achieve um, more than 65% of the valid signatures of those who are able to remonstrate. And we have an obligation to listen to them. So overall, this was the final event surrounding remonstration meant to offer closure to your objections to the annexation process. You know, just looking at this this whole process, what are your major takeaways? Um, first of all, the remonstration process is not over. Signature gathering has ceased. That ceased on January 6th. And now it is up to the auditor to validate the signatures of the people. And uh, she will be doing that over the next 35 days or so. And uh, we will find out her determination sometime in the future. And it's not up to the mayor to determine and to assert what her official findings will become. So, but my major takeaway is we were fighting this battle with our hands tied behind our backs while blindfolded and in a pandemic. It was very unjust process, but the power of the people and the goodwill of the people to have a say in their own determination was very heartening. Without complaint, with very uh, serious intent, they went door to door. They gathered signature by signature. They introduced themselves to neighbors and across the county. You know, I would estimate 85% of the people, 90% are opposed to this involuntary annexation. And I think that it's an obligation of the elected officials, whether they're in the city or the county, to listen to the people. You know, we we did not have um, the tools that uh, certainly the city has. They have, I don't know how many lawyers that they've hired at the taxpayer expense to, to foist upon the people what they don't want. And meanwhile, I was working for free from seven in the morning to 11 o'clock at night since May doing for the people what they wanted to have done for them. And I did it for free. And meanwhile, the good people of Monroe County are paying these paid officials to do unto them what they do not want to have done unto them. And I think there's an injustice there. I see. I see. Well, thank you for that. And, and you know, you were touching on, you know, the next steps, what the future holds. And I, I wanted to come back to that just a little bit before we part ways. So what does the future hold? What are the next steps what can we expect to hear from the county residents against annexation moving forward? Well, the next step is to listen to the auditor. And then if the auditor confirms what we believe to be true, that is that the annexation is voided, then we hope that the mayor and the city council will listen to the auditor. I mean, that is our our big plea to the city government. Can you hear us? Are you listening? Will you listen now? What will it take for you to hear us? We do not want to be annexed. And if they, if it requires a court case, we will continue with that court case. You know, we will continue. But it is uh, ill-advised, expensive, and it's divisive. And we hope that they hear us. Uh, you know, that we just hope that they hear us. Absolutely. Well, Margaret, is there anything else you would like to add before we say our goodbyes? I would like to thank the volunteers across all the Monroe County. We know that we've had uh, support in the city of Bloomington. 
We know that we've had uh, support across the annexation areas and we are united as a city and a county in uh, determining our own future together. We have a vision for our community that is not shared by the mayor right now. It is not shared by a majority of the city council and we would like to be heard. Well, Margaret Clemens, president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, thank you for speaking with us on the WFHB Local News. Thank you, Kate. Have a good day. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information is online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhesky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. KiteLine is produced by Maya Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young for WFHB. I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB whenever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 